I'm going to read 2 Thessalonians 3 and preach just very briefly this morning at the conclusion of these letters to the Thessalonians. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may deliver from wicked, may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now some persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is present amongst us, that we might hear it and receive it. And God, we pray that we would do so by the power of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be soft before you, that our eyes would be open and we would see Jesus so clearly. Our hearts would be captured and our feet may follow wherever he leads. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Paul uh, finishes his letter here with two things that I think that um, are different in the, in the sense that everyone can identify with one thing and pretty much no one can identify with the other. And they're linked together in this one issue of who is working and who is not working in this church. Um, Paul is talking about a group of people we don't know a whole lot about. They're apparently... Um, refusing to work for reasons we don't understand. We don't know. Paul doesn't illuminate them. It could be for a variety of reasons. They could just be lazy. They could be taking advantage of the Christian church's obligation and commitment to care for people who don't have anything. It could be we know they have issues about when Jesus is or is not or Has he come back? And so maybe they're in the position where they're like, well, I'm just selling it all and I'm just going to sit here and wait. Um, We're not sure who they are in that sort of classification. We just know they're not working. And Paul is writing to remind them that everyone is obligated to work. He says that if they are refusing to work, the community should not take care of them. Now, Paul is not talking about people who cannot work. 
He's talking about people who refuse to work. And that's an important distinction. The refusal here is really important to Paul. And many times in Christian community, there are people who cannot work. And it is the obligation of the community to care for them. So we're not saying that if like you have two injured or, or something like that, um, you're disabled and you cannot work, that Christians should be like, well, sorry, I cannot help you. The Bible tells me so. That is not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is talking about people who have the ability to work in the community and do not do so. Work is for everyone. Work, by and large, is for everyone. It is part of being human. By which I mean when you read about the creation of Adam and Eve, their existence in Genesis 1 and 2 is tied to their call, their function in creation. They are called to extend the boundaries of Eden's flourishing all the way to the edges of the globe. And that happens right away in the text. Work is not a result of sin. Now, you may have a job that you hate and you object. You say, well, it certainly does feel like it. And look, I'm reading this text as a lazy person, okay? You may be a workaholic. I don't get you. I'm a lazy person. I enjoy, I did not come to the end of my vacation and say, man, I don't know how I could do this forever. I was like, week two, three, four, like sign me up. Doesn't bother me. But I know, and you should know, that God has called you to work. Not because God needs you to work. Everything in creation was made by his good power from nothing with no help. He does not need you. He does make you for work. Because you get the pleasure of working with him. And so you are called to the extension of God's kingdom character and his own, as a witness to his own goodness to the whole world. And it is important for Christians to understand that and to embrace it and to understand that that extends to whatever job God has called you to. We believe that you don't you are not, if you are not me, if you are not like a, a, a minister, a clergy, we do not believe that you are operating in some substandard classification of life with God. Your work matters. And it is vital that you understand when Monday comes or whenever your work week starts, that you are being sent there, not just by economic need, but by God himself, even to the jobs that you don't like even the menial jobs, the jobs that hurt your body and worse, break your mind at the drudgery, even when the bosses are hard to tolerate. God has called you to that particular place for that day to do your very best work as seeing yourself as participating with him. It doesn't mean you can't change your work. Get a different job. Paul doesn't say, like, pick a job, never leave it. You can leave your job. If you have a terrible job and you would like a better job, I mean, go for it. Bless you. 
But it's important that the people of God understand that we are not just sort of sitting around in, in, in a room together and saying, like, the highest life, the only real life, the only good life is a spiritual life. And we're just sort of heavenly minded, waiting for, for everything to be finished. Jesus, come, and I hope somebody gives you meal, meals today. Now, this kind of work extends to work that you don't get a paycheck for. I would argue that if you, for various reasons, cannot find a good paying job, or let's say, for example, if you're a mom and nobody is paying you for your work that is very much a job, your work also counts. Every mom that I know that stays at home and does not have a paycheck from somebody else does not look like somebody who is refusing to work. They look like somebody who needs somebody to work for them. That work matters. There's a variety of vocations. There's a variety of pay scales. There's a variety of work, but work is part of what it means to be human in the world and to be a Christian. It is good. Work is for everyone. Now, the issue here is that Paul is, is confronting people who have heard this instruction. You can hear it. He's taught them in person before. He's sent letters. He's sending this letter, and they are refusing to do that work. And Paul's instruction about what to do with these people is what probably almost no one, maybe no one in this room has seen before. Because Paul says, you should exclude that brother or sister. Paul is here talking about church discipline. That the gathered community of people take their refusal to obey the explicit teaching of the apostles and of the scriptures so seriously that they began to withdraw from them the, one of the highest benefits that a Christian can extend, which is Christian community. That is incredibly serious. And a lot of people have never even seen it. Not in this way. Now you've, prob you've probably seen two different scenarios. One, nobody does anything. Like, it's just awkward what that person is doing, and we're just not going to deal with it because it's awkward. Or, informal social exclusion. That person's too hard, their sin is, is too creepy, and without any decision as a church together, which is what Paul commands... People just socially isolate and exclude that person with no communication because their sin is just too icky or tricky or whatever it is. And people just sort of edge away from them because it's easier to do that than what Paul is describing. And Paul is describing something different where the church formally together decides brother or sister You've continued to reject the instruction of scriptures. We have warned you. You are not ashamed. We will now withdraw from you some of the benefits of this community. That is serious. And that is hard. And for many people, it's unthinkable. It feels unchristian. 
But that is a misunderstanding. Both in the Gospels, Jesus describes a similar process and procedure, and in other places in the New Testament, the, the Scriptures are clear. If someone refuses to submit to the teaching of Scripture, this is what you ought to do. Not because you are worried about their sin as a pathogen, as a virus that will infect you, but because their sin will destroy them. And if you love them, you will do anything you can to see them delivered from it. Notice how he talks about the people who, are, who might be in this process. He says you should not treat them as an enemy, but as a brother or sister. Church discipline and consequences for sin like this that feel like assault, feel like an attack. If everybody else is, is not on the same page and understanding why are we doing this, is misspirited. But when the body says and sees together, our brother or a sister has given themselves over to what will kill them, we must act so that it does not. That is what church discipline is supposed to look like. That is an act of grace and mercy. The end goal being the person feels ashamed. It's not perfection. Do you, do you notice that? So we're not talking about people who are struggling with sin and feel guilty about sin, even public sin. Christians can struggle with sin. Christians do struggle with sin. That is expected. When people come into a church and say, man, there is sin everywhere up in here, we're just like, yeah, we know. That's why we publicly confess our sin every week together and all the time and in private one to another. We are a whole mess of sinners up in here. That is not the, the cause for church discipline here. The cause for church discipline here is the person does not care. I will do what I will do and I will not be bossed around. That is is deadly. So if a brother or sister says, I see now my sin and I feel so badly about it, the response of the community is to come close. Immediately. To come close. To be a friend and an agent of mercy and healing for that person. But you and I need to hear this word. We were all made for work because our whole lives were meant to be owned by God. Our whole lives were meant to be owned by God. And sin is serious not just because of how other people perceive you or perceive me, although that matters, but because when you withhold an arena of your life from the hands of a holy God, you are in danger. God made your whole life to be for him. 
And because he loves you, because he loves you, he will continue to come after you until all of your working and living belongs to him. Ultimately, what Paul is calling these people towards in this passage is participation in their own work. What, he's, what he prays for them is that the, the work of the gospel would speed on. And you are a part of the gospel speeding on. You are not called to once a week meeting attendance. You are called to that, but not that alone. You are called to participation in the speeding of the gospel to every place where you go because you yourself are a herald in your working and your living that Jesus Christ actually is the Lord of heaven and earth. And we confront our sin. Again, not because of public perception, but because we understand that under the lordship of Jesus is the only place for real life and flourishing. And it is to him that we owe all of our obedience. And from him we receive all of the life of God himself. Notice how Paul prays for these people. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. The Lord Jesus is faithful to his people and is pulling you in to his own life and love with all that you do and all of who you are. People of God, you are being called Godward and he is sweeping up all of who you are. If you know that you are like these idlers, that you have said, I will submit to the direction of Jesus in, as Paul describes, the teachings passed on to you. Where do we find those? The Bible. If you know that you have withheld from God, some corner or portion of your life, and for a long time maybe, you have said, I will not cede this over to him. Today, God is calling you into his own life and goodness. You ought to see, the scriptures are telling you, that is something to be ashamed of. But to hear also that the Lord Jesus is not coming to bury you in shame. There's an important distinction here. You and I often have need to be ashamed of our conduct. And when we do, the temptation is to listen to the voice of the enemy who will bury you in shame. Shame will always keep you in the dark and always dig the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. But what Jesus is saying is when you are ashamed of what you have done, if you will come to him in the light, there is no shame on you. 
There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you have been caught in sin for a long time, come home to Jesus. He has for you not a word of abuse and shame and harshness, but the entirety of his gentleness and kindness, the deliverance of condemnation from condemnation. And if you are today here and you know that you've been in community with other people and maybe you have behaved other, you have pushed away from those who is difficult to love, or you have mistreated others and instead of drawing them out of their sin, you have cast rocks upon them. Today, you too are called to respond. You too are called to hear that in your harshness and judgmentalism, God would still see you and deliver you too. Even when you've misrepresented him, as we all have to one degree or another. Come in to Jesus that the Lord might direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That Jesus and his gospel will consume all that we work and do. So the gospel may speed on to the edges of the earth and we might fully join in Adam and Eve's work finally, fully, and freely that the world may be filled with the glory of God like the waters fill up the seas. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this, your word. And God, I pray for all of those who are here today who have felt the weight of their sin, who have maybe for a long time refused to submit to your own direction, to your own lordship. And God, I pray today would be the day that they would feel the weight, the wrongness of the thing. And instead of in that moment hearing the voice of the accuser driving them far away from you, they would hear your voice and would run towards you. And God, I pray that we all would be drawn into the light and freed by you there. And Father, I pray for our church that we would be a place, a people of good work, a people who feel the weight and the possibility of all our days with you, that we would give our lives to you and that we would love one another to such an extent that we would see brothers and sisters caught in sin and we would desire out of mercy and love for our friends to see them freed, demonstrating the gentleness in servitude that we have seen in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that you are directing our hearts towards you and that our confidence like Paul's can be in you and not ourselves. We confess we are bad at this. We have lots of faults. We have failed you and failed one another time and again. Our confidence is in you. And we thank you that our confidence there is not misplaced. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank, we thank you for your tenacious love for your church, for every one of us. It is in your name we pray. Amen.